This morning, if you have a Bible, turn with me to actually the book of Titus this morning. I know that we are going through the book of Acts and we will uh, continue through the book of Acts next week. But for this morning, if you would turn with me to the book of Titus. All right. Titus chapter 3. Now I want to ask you a question. How many of you know what this building is? Any of you know, recognize that building? Just raise your hand. It's in downtown Santa Cruz? Yeah, it's the Vets Hall, right? Okay, how many of you have been to the Vets Hall, downtown Santa Cruz? How many of you have worshipped in the Vets Hall? Have any of you worshipped in the Vets Hall? All right. This was uh, the beginning of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. It was down in the Vets Hall um, in, in downtown I was on staff over at Calvary Chapel San Jose when Pastor Dave uh, had a call to go out and he didn't know where. And, um, you know, Pastor Johnny had started Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. What year, Pastor Johnny? 1977. Uh, And it's it's had different iterations, different places. Uh, At one point in time, it moved to Aptos and became Calvary Chapel Aptos. Uh, but when it came back to uh, Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, it was over here at the, the Vets Hall. And uh, how, long, how long was the church meeting there? Four years? Okay, four years at the Vets Hall. Uh, how many of you recognize this place? Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay, some of you recognize this place. This is uh, the gym at the VHM um, right off of 7th uh, Avenue in, in Santa Cruz there. And so how many years here? Probably about six years at this place, the church met uh, there at the Vets Hall, uh, setting up chairs, uh, setting up uh, everything the the way that uh, they would be able to worship. Um, I had visited there uh, a few times as well, so that was really cool to to see. I found this picture online, um, so there was a lot of setup. But um, if you were there, you realize that with parking and with different things, it started to get to a place where um, it was no longer conducive to uh, ministry every week. And yet for two years, uh, the city of Santa Cruz made it really difficult because uh, the city government really wants revenue, right? Uh, Any of you that work for city government, you know that you want want some revenue. And revenue is really kind of what drives the city thing. So at the time uh, over there in uh, Santa Cruz, they're looking for a place. Um, finally, Scotts Valley said, hey, we're, we're open to you. You know, we could go ahead and, and we'll open it up and you guys could come to, to Scotts Valley. And so all of the elders had got together and, and uh, pastors at the time had prayed, uh, asked for the Lord's guidance and direction and ended up here. And if you've been here as a, a part of this, you realize that um, the upstairs, which is CrossFit, at one point in time was also part of the church. And so the church has moved downstairs and we're here now. Um, and during that time, the Lord used Pastor Dave for 10 years really to, to kind of forge that. Um, as a great friend of mine, he, uh, it, it was cool because when he came out here to, to Santa Cruz, um, at about the same time, the Lord was leading me to start a church in Gilroy. And I didn't know where I was going to go. I was like praying about where to go. And it, this is a funny thing. There was a group of people at one point in time that was meeting over in Gilroy, and they asked Dave if he would come out and teach a Bible study. So he went to the Bible study, and he's like, hey, are we going to become a church? And that group of people said, no, uh, right now we're just going to be a a home fellowship. And so Dave kind of came back to San Jose and ended up coming here. Um, About 16 years ago, 15 years ago, when we came up to Northern California originally, I drove right through here 
applied for a job at Baymont School, got hired at Baymont to teach Bible and also to teach PE uh, and be an athletic director. And I was actually praying about starting a church in this area. And the Lord closed the door. We went back to Southern California. So long story short, it's weird how God works uh, those things out. And the reason why I'm, I'm sharing this with you is that as we go through uh, Titus chapter 3 this morning, you know, I got back from the pastor's conference in Costa Mesa this last summer, and really I'd been praying about a couple of things with the elders for maybe about a year and a half, and here was the thing. When it comes to Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, if you were a part of either of those two previous locations and you moved over here, um, your heart is for both places, right? Your heart is for Santa Cruz. And I remember when I got here, it's kind of a weird thing when you're the new guy uh, being here for two years. Um, people are saying, well, are we going to move back to Santa Cruz? Or are we going to stay here? And you know what I said? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I'm, just, I'm the new guy. And, and uh, so I'm just praying through these things and, and listening to the pastors that are already here and the people that had gone before. Talking to Bill Holdridge, and, and uh, he pastored the church here for a couple of years, and and this is kind of the philosophy behind it, and I, I believe this is for us. When you read uh, God's people in the Old Testament and you see what happened in the book of Exodus, the cloud settled, and where the cloud settled, what did the people do? They stayed. And if the cloud moved, they moved. Well, right now the cloud is staying. <laughs> Just letting you know, the cloud's not moving. God's, God's providing. This is the place where we are. So this is where we are. But does that mean that we don't have a heart for larger than just um, our immediate Jerusalem? No. There's still a heart for, for downtown. There's still a heart for other areas. And, and yet, being named Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, um, it's kind of a difficult thing because if we're trying to reach out to also Felton and Scotts Valley, and it's kind of like, well, what about these mountain communities? Like, do you have a heart here? So in trying to get into Vine Hill School, they asked, oh, what's the name of the church? And I said, well, it's Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. So they, are you in Scotts Valley or are you in Santa Cruz? Oh, we're right here in Scotts Valley. And so one of the questions came up, like, why are you called Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz? And you have to go through this explanation that it's, it's a heart for more than just Scotts Valley. It's for a larger population as well. And who knows where the Lord leads us? And here's the thing, because we don't own the building and we're in a lease, I don't know where the Lord's leading tomorrow. You know, I don't know where the Lord's leading next month or next year. So as we prayed about it, there was something else that God started to do in, in uh, my heart for the last year and a half and then sharing it with our elders and then sharing it with some of the people that are um, in leadership uh, in ministry, just praying about God, what is it that you want to do? And that comes to where we are today and why we're taking a break from the book of Acts. Um, I sent out an email, if you get the Calvary Connection, that was really about Chuck Smith's vision for the future of the Calvary Chapel movement. And for me, when I first became a Christian, started going to Calvary Chapel West Covina down in Southern California, and then I went to Azusa Pacific University, um, I, I understood this, that in my mind, we were just an independent, non-denominational church. But at that time, Calvary Chapel was really growing. It was really starting to branch out. It started from one church down in Costa Mesa, if you don't know the history, and then it exploded to now there's over 1,000 here in the U.S. And then uh, worldwide, there's Calvary chapels all over the world. And um, one of the things that Chuck said was he loved calling the church Calvary Chapel in the early days because nobody knew what a Calvary Chapel was. 
Because at the time, there were Baptist churches, and there were Pentecostal churches, and there were everything in between. And it was almost like people would start to buttonhole you based on the name of your church. They'd say, what's the name of your church? And even if your church is a Baptist church that is open to the moving of the Holy Spirit, there would be people that would say, well, I'm not looking for a Baptist church. I'm looking for a Pentecostal church. And if you had a Pentecostal church and you were teaching expositorily through the word of God, without people even coming to check you out, they would hear the name of the church and immediately say, oh, you're a Pentecostal church. You know, you guys must not teach through the Bible. And they would kind of stay, you know, away. So as I was praying about this and, and reading about what Chuck said, he said, I loved being called Calvary Chapel because people would ask me, what is that? That was the open door to be able to share what we're all about. But now as Calvary Chapel is going into our 40s as a, as a movement, and now there's thousands of churches, there are still times when people will come to a Calvary Chapel because of the teaching of the word, and times when people will say, well, I don't want to go to a, a Calvary Chapel. I want to go to a non-denominational church. Now, I want to explain to you, we're not a denomination. Now, I know that people within will say, well, yeah, you're a denomination, but let me explain the difference. Um, we don't get a, a thing that comes from Costa Mesa that says, this is what you're going to teach this week. Uh, we don't have a, a budget where we have to pay, you know, headquarters. And then headquarters kind of says what the Lord's calling us to do. We're independent churches. You know what holds us together is the fellowship of Christ being led by the spirit and teaching through his word and having the same values and the same heart of ministry. So in the 1970s at the time, there was a Calvary Chapel in Riverside that got started. It started to grow. And there was a Calvary Chapel in San Diego that got started and started to grow. And they came back to a pastor's conference. And at the same conference, a man named Greg Laurie, who was uh, 20 years old at the time, uh, said, I, I really believe the Lord is calling us to call our church Harvest, but we're still going to be a Calvary Chapel. And at the same meeting, there was another pastor. His name is Mike McIntosh. And Mike McIntosh said, you know, I believe that the Lord is leading us to be called Horizon, but we're still a Calvary Chapel. And so John Corson moved up to Oregon, started something called Applegate Christian Fellowship, still a Calvary Chapel. And uh, Ray Bentley started something uh, towards San Diego called Maranatha Chapel. And so the reason why I'm sharing that is this. Um, as we've been praying about, are we going to be called Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz or Calvary Chapel Scotts Valley? What does the Lord have for us? And waiting upon the Lord, um, this is what I wanted to share with you. And if you've received my email, I'm pretty excited about this. As a Calvary Chapel, I really, uh, with the pastors and the elders, and I've been talking to other Calvary Chapel pastors as well, uh, for us as a, a local body, uh, we're going to be called Regeneration Church. And I'm going to explain throughout this teaching uh, not only the name, but really what does that mean and why is it a big deal? Or is it a big deal? Because some people say it's just a name. So then why change it all? Well, if you would just pray with me to have a, a, an open heart and just say, Lord, what is it that you want to do? By your personality and by also what you think that this means, sometimes change can be a divisive thing. Like, hey, we, we can't change anything. Uh, you change the color of the seats. You change uh, the, the look. Uh, we're, we're, we're not having it. Uh, like I said before, others are really like excited about change. Oh, okay, let's do this new thing. Um, we're still at Calvary Chapel teaching through the word of God. The name changes for a specific reason as we go through Titus. So if you would just pray with me and uh, let's get into God's word.
Jesus, again, uh, we want to thank you that this is your church. Uh, it's not uh, our church as a people. We don't own it. You, you are the head of the body of Christ. And not only this body, but every local fellowship and congregation. So, Lord, as we ask for your leadership and we ask that you would be the one that would be glorified, not a, a name, not a movement, Lord, not a person. Jesus, we pray that when we think about life and ministry in the body of Christ, we would think primarily of you and what it is that you would desire to do. Lord, we want to be open to anything that you would do, and we don't want to do things just for the sake of change. So God, as a body of Christ, would you uh, bless this time? Would you speak to us? And Lord, help us to hear what your spirit says to the church in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. I'm super excited about getting into the word this morning. Um, As we get into Titus chapter 3, I'm going to show you a little picture here. This is from Friday night. So Friday night, uh, that's uh, Justin Richter, who uh, pastors Calvary Chapel Gilroy. Uh, my, my friend Todd, all the way on the left side of that picture, uh, he pastors a church called Orchard Community Church over in Campbell. And Jeff Slavich, the guy in the ugly orange sweatshirt next to me, is, uh, is a friend of mine that was an elder at Calvary Chapel Gilroy and now at Old, uh, or Orchard Community Church. So we, we head down there, and I'm the only Dodger fan. And uh, Jeff has uh, season tickets. He's only, this is his third game this year. So uh, they're laughing. He said, I'll let you come to the game as long as we get to beat you up afterwards, whether the Dodgers win or lose. And I said, okay, you know, I'll go with you. So we go over to the game, and um, I'm pretty good-natured about that kind of stuff. I I think it's really fun, and I kind of get into it, but uh, I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to fight someone over it. So I'm sitting there in my Dodger jersey, and uh, I was going to play a video of the fans that are around me, but there's some words that kind of come through that you might want, not want to hear. It's kind of a PG thing so, uh, in here. So anyway, I'm, I'm going around, and these people are in my face. They're yelling, Dodgers lose 9 nothing that night. Uh, we, we get shut out, and it was just, it was just terrible. And, and everywhere I'm walking, everyone's pointing at me. And here's the deal that was different, though, about me compared to some of these other Dodger fans. Some of these other Dodger fans that were there are getting all angry because, you know, the Dodgers are losing and they're yelling at people and, and we're, there's fights, you know, security's getting called in, having to break people up. People are throwing beer. You know, there's Giants fans that are like, you know, throwing food and, and I'm just, you know, I'm just there laughing. And one of the things that people around us notice is the good naturedness of us being together and kind of laughing and, and, and I, I just took it all in. It was just, it was a, a fun thing for me. But in our car ride on the way home, we really didn't talk about baseball. You know what we talked about? We talked about Jesus. We talked about what is the Lord doing in your life? What is God doing in ministry? What do you see um, as far as the challenges of ministry in a current day and age? How is God leading you? And what I find is that our differences are so small compared to what we have in common. The thing that we have in common in the Lord, that, that is uh, what calls us together more than any color or team or, or what we represent outside of that. It's really about Christ. So as we go through this, um, I wanted to share that with you because when Paul wrote to Titus, the background of Titus is that Titus was an apprentice. He was a disciple of Paul's. Uh, he let, Paul led him to Christ just like he led Timothy 
And then he set Titus in one of the most difficult places in all of the New Testament. He set him in a place called Crete, C-R-E-T-E. Um, have you ever heard of the, the name Cretan? You Cretan, you know, like it's kind of a derogatory name. Guess where it comes from? It comes from Crete. Crete had such a reputation that Cretans were worshipful of other gods. Uh, it was very, um, very pagan, uh, very unchurched, very unknowledgeable about the Bible. And, and there was immorality that was rampant in Crete. And what Paul does is he leaves Titus in Crete and he says, I want you to stay here and I want you to pastor the church in Crete. So that's who Titus was. Uh, he was probably stronger than Timothy, both physically and spiritually, from what we read, not only in Paul's writings, but in other uh, historical writings. And, and it just seems like Timothy uh, was a little more timid. Titus was put in this difficult area because um, I guess the Lord had it, that that's where he wanted him to be. Paul wrote the letter of Titus, um, to encourage him. So he was a pastor there. Now, this is what Paul wrote to him about. In chapter one, it was about leadership. He told Titus to look for these leaders who are called and qualified. They have to know biblical doctrine and understand what the Bible teaches, but their life had to match it in character. So it wasn't just about head knowledge and understanding theology. Uh, there was a good reputation amongst people that were outside. They had to um, understand that, that these people that would lead the church had to not only represent the, the teachings of Jesus, but live it out in their community. So Titus's first challenge was to look for elders and leaders of the church to teach them uh, specifically, this is what God calls us to and not to be led astray from beliefs that are not according to God's teachings. I believe the same thing is true for us today. There are so many teachings and weird things that are out there. Uh, there are so many people that say, well, uh, it's Jesus plus. Oh, I believe the Bible, but I also believe this. Or I believe the Bible, but you know what? It's an inspirational book, but it's not God's word. See, if we don't have this to go by, and we don't have the reliability of Scripture, then it's just us and our opinions, and our opinions are no better than someone else's opinions. It has to go back down to, do we know the word? And not just is the word being taught, but are we self-feeders? Are you in the word? Are you, are you not only reading it, but studying it and living it out in your own life? The second thing in chapter 2 of Titus was, this is how the church lives together in community. In chapter 2, one of the things that Paul focuses on is older people and younger people. And what I feel like today in our culture sometimes that happens is churches are either older churches or younger churches. Um, there are these new, you know, hip churches that, you know, in their, their hipness, uh, like, I, I feel too nerdy to go to churches like that. I feel self-conscious, you know, sitting around, looking around, and just feeling like I'm not cool enough. There are, there are some ministries that are so cool and hip that, and I understand maybe their heart, like Paul said, become all things to all people. Maybe they're in a place where that's just how people are. Then there are other churches that very, very traditional and hold to the Bible, which is what we should all do. But 
the music is still the music of the 19 whatevers. And um, one of the things that you read about is Charles Stanley and Andy Stanley um, reading uh, about their biography and what happened. Char- I love Charles Stanley, great Bible teacher. You know what? I also love his son, Andy Stanley, because he's, he's a good Bible teacher as well. And they talked about, as a father and son, the differences. And what happened was Charles Stanley realized something. He realized that as a church, they started to become known more for what they were against than what they were for. So he told his son, Andy, I want you to go into this new suburb area. We're buying some property there, and eventually we're going to move the church over there. As that happened, Andy went, opened up a warehouse, and the warehouse was, uh, you know, it wasn't beautiful. It didn't have the organ. They didn't have a choir with robes, and it was contemporary, and he would just sit and teach in a very informal way, but still going through the Word of God. And that started to grow faster than the other church. But when the other church tried to move, what happened was it was almost like there was too much of attention, and so as a father and son, they decided to do something. Charles Stanley told Andy, go ahead and pastor the church over there and you could just go ahead and we'll do a split off and we're going to stay where we are. And when you read the book, it's fascinating the tension that's there and how God is using both ministries today. In fact, I believe that Charles Stanley is reaching many people today and that time in the church's life really changed some things. Now, the reason why I share that with you is this, when it comes to Chapter 3 of Titus, how the church lives in the world. This is really where I want to focus on. Because it says in verse 1, and before I I read this, I feel tension in our world today whenever I I look on Facebook. I see political fights. I see people that are talking, uh, and and they hash things out instead of face-to-face in community and in friendship. It's, It's over the internet now. And there's bloggers and there's people that respond. I understand that there's a time and place to do that. Um, but, but I just feel like sometimes there's this polar, polarizing thing that is happening rather than staying to just keeping the gospel as the focus. You know, keeping Jesus as the center. And now, granted, we live in America where we have the freedom to vote and we have the freedom to voice our opinion, so we should do that. But as we do that, and I'm going to ask you this, and, and it's for myself as well. I'm very conservative. Um, I'm very patriotic. I love this nation. I started to realize that probably a few years ago, I felt like I was an angry talk show host. I was looking to pick fights in grocery stores over the Internet, talking to people, you know, different views. And, and, and rather than being someone that was humble and showing the love of Christ, I started, in a sense, to feel like uh, I started to become a little bit more arrogant, feeling like you guys are dumb, you guys don't understand truth, and you don't understand. And we could easily start to divide in generations, saying, oh, this generation doesn't understand anything, they don't know anything, they don't have anything to offer. Well, guess what? That's what happened in the early 1970s when Chuck Smith went over to the hippies. And no other church was willing to do that. It's when he realized that these long hair, you know, marijuana smoking, you know, uh, commune living people need Christ. Just like the clean cut businessmen with a, a, a tie and a short sleeve shirt needed Christ. And as Chuck started to bridge that gap to reach out, 
he started to change some things and it started to blow up the church because those things were changing. And people said, no, let's not gather in, in one time he wanted to move the seats and change them in a semicircle. People showed up for church and there were people that wanted to leave the church and are arguing, you can't change the order of the seats because this is my seat. This is where I sit and, and this is a change. And, and man, when he started to let some of these guys lead in worship and sing music, hey, Pastor Chuck, I just wrote this song. Can I, can I play this song? Oh, sure. He'd let them play this song. Yeah, they'd make some mistakes. And then he finds out later on, hey, would you play that song again? Oh, Pastor Chuck, I can't. Um, uh, every other weekend I have to serve out my jail sentence, and so I won't be here this weekend. Uh, and oh, okay, well, maybe the weekend after that. There was an openness. Now, in Titus, this is what Paul tells Titus, ministering in a similar environment. He says, Titus, when it comes to pastoring the church that you pastor, in a sense, because this is what he's talking about, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, to be gentle, showing humility, all humility to all people, all men. Fascinating to do a Greek study on the word all. Because it means the same thing as it does in English. It means all. So we are to show humility to all. That means that I need to show humility to Giants fans. You know, I need to, like, uh, be humble when I'm, I'm with Giants fans who lost 17 nothing last night. And, um, you know, I just, you know, when it, when it comes to <laughs> speaking evil of no one, I can't even speak evil of, of you. Or, 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 you know, it's just... Uh, and some of you have given me ribs on Facebook over that, so i sorry, I just had to. Uh, but peaceable, gentle, showing humility to all men. If we're going to reach people, we should never, ever compromise the truth of the gospel and the truth of God's word. But if we are going to reach people, then if we don't come across in humility, it doesn't matter how much we know. They won't care. It doesn't matter if we're right. There's nothing about us that is compelling enough for them to want to listen. See, what happens is Paul is writing to Titus in a really pagan area that is very anti-God and anti-Christian, very unbiblical. And he says to Titus, when you pastor, make sure you remind the people not to get into all of this stuff where, where we, we stop showing humility and we stop being gentle. I am guilty of this. Because there are so many times that I'm not gentle when it comes to dealing with someone, relating to someone from an opposing viewpoint. I could easily come across uh, angry or vindictive or judgmental or prideful. Now, what helps us to walk in humility? It's this in verse 3. It says, for we ourselves, this is all of us, speaking to those that are followers of Christ, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Now, for those of you that are followers of Christ, did any of you come to Christ because someone just shouted you down and was smarter than you? Did any of you come to Christ because someone just convinced you that you were dumb and they were smart, you got in an argument, you realize I'm dumb, they're right, I need to come to Christ? No. How did you come? You come because someone had a testimony 
that they were in the same situation as you were. Their background was the same as yours, and they were no better than you, but somehow Christ did a work in their lives, right? That testimony is getting lost today in a culture war. Now, in this culture war, uh, we should be gentle as doves, um, you know, innocent as doves, and yet we need to be shrewd like serpents, which means we need to be gentle. We need to speak the truth in love. What is one of the descriptions of Jesus in the book of John? Jesus full of grace and what? Truth. Truth was never compromised. But you know what else was never compromised? Grace was never compromised. It wasn't Jesus full of grace or truth. And you know what can happen easily? Is that sometimes churches can do this, be full of grace. And you know what? There's some pretty grace-filled churches out there that I would, I would really have a dissension and I would really have a disagreement with doctrine with them. And there are some churches that are filled with truth, but man, I'll tell you, when it comes to grace, um, they're, they're known really for more what they're against re- rather than what they're for. We need to remember who we were. Did any of us save ourselves? Did any of us come to a place where God saved us because, man, we were just so good? We're just so good. And God's like, I need, I need to pick her because she's so good. You know, compared to everyone else, look, no, we were all sinful. Either sinful in unrighteousness that's blatant unrighteousness or sinful in unrighteousness, which is a self-righteousness. Either way, we're all unrighteous and we all need a savior. And that helps us to be humble. So what is our focus then? In verse four. This is the focus. We need to focus on the gospel. It says, but when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Listen to what Paul writes to Titus. Titus, think about this. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. What was it that drew us to Christ? You know, what, what do we love about Christmas? Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. That's my favorite Christmas carol in all the world. And every year, no matter how many times I hear it, I get choked up and I move because that's the story of the gospel. That's what Jesus came to do, to save sinners. And as Jesus comes into this world, he reminds Titus, remember this, it's the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Verse five, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Not, it's nothing that we have done. It's not according to, look how good we are. We dress this way. We don't listen to this music. We don't drink this certain liquid. We don't smoke this certain stuff. You know, we don't watch these certain programs. And look how good we are. No. What does it say? It says, it's not by our works of righteousness, which we have done. But according to his mercy, he saved us. How? And here's the key. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. When I first became a Christian, the big talk was being born again. There was all of the, I was six years old, I think, when Jimmy Carter maybe became president. And Jimmy Carter, the controversy was this. In the United States, He was the first Christian that said he was born again. And then there was a guy from Watergate, a guy named Chuck Colson. 
And Chuck Colson came out with a book. It was an autobiography of his life. What was it called? Born Again. And everyone was talking about what it means to be born again. And people would ask, are you born again? And they would walk up to people, are you born again? And they would talk to them, are you born again? And that was the thing that even on high school campuses and hippies that were talking to other hippies, they would ask, are you born again? And there was this thing that was happening. And now what I hear is that uh, Journey is born again because they have a new lead singer. You know, and their old lead singer broke from the band, but now they're born again. And what I hear is this actor who is nowhere, and no one was asking her to be a part of movies anymore. Her career is born again. And, and uh, this team that was terrible, they got this new draft pick and a new coach. That team is born again. And, and the term has been hijacked by our culture. But guess what? Regeneration, the new birth, it's what God does. So when we tell people what regeneration is, and why we're called that. This, people, this, if you don't hear this, then we're wasting a whole lot of effort and prayer and time and focus. When we tell people what regeneration is, it's not primarily to tell people what the church is. It's primarily to tell people it's when God changes us from the inside out. Because people think of church as a place that you go to when you've already got cleaned up. When you get your life in order and things are better and you're ready to get your, your act together, that's when you go to church. And they think of church almost like a car wash, that this special car wash, you got to wash your car before you take it to the car wash. You know, at this car wash, you better detail your car before you come in. Because if you bring a dirty car into this car wash, we'll mock you. We'll all look at you and judge you because your car is dirty. That's what people think about church today. So sometimes when you have an opportunity to tell people about regeneration, if they ask you, what is regeneration? Don't tell people about our church. Tell people about Jesus and how Jesus can change you from the inside out. And then if they ask, well, where can I learn more? Then you can tell them about the church. You could invite them and invite them. But if they don't ask you, then invite them to church. And when they say, what church, you, what church do you go to? And you say regeneration, guess what? You could ask them a question. Do you know what regeneration is? Open door. Just ask, do you know what regeneration is? How, how non-confrontational uh, is it? It's a very simple, do you know what regeneration is? Oh, no, what, what is that? You know, it's weird because a lot of people think about church or, or religion, you know, and there's a lot of religions that are like that where it's about you cleaning up your act and God will accept you. But regeneration is when God changes us from the inside out. It's an internal change. And, and it's not like trying to get your act together. It's like God changes you. That's, that's what our church is about. There's the opportunity to, to share with someone what that is. Now, when we focus on the gospel, notice it also says, and the renewing of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. It, he didn't just save us through the washing of regeneration, but then he also renews us through the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit's work. And as it is the Holy Spirit's work, if you have been regenerated or born again, we need to be renewed day by day. Not regenerated day by day, not saved again day by day, but I need to be renewed today. Because you know what? I get stale really quickly. Um, my pet peeve, one of them, uh, millions, but one of them is at home, when uh, we buy a bag of tortilla chips and I come home and the bag is sitting on the kitchen table and it's open 
And I grab one of the chips and I bite it and it's not crunchy. And I just become a jerk. Who left the chips open? You know, what did you do? And in the same way, I personally, I get very stale if I am not constantly abiding in Christ. If I'm not daily seeking him. If you think that this gathering, this worship gathering and this equipping is going to do it for the week, you are sadly, sadly mistaken. If you think that, oh, today is the day that I'm refreshed, renewed for the whole week, not going to happen. Because guess what tomorrow is? It's Monday. <laughs> and you're going to wake up on Monday and everything that you just experienced on Sunday goes flying out the door because in our flesh we need to be renewed day by day. In verse 6, it says, Whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. I mean, this is the focus of who we are. He poured out his spirit abundantly on us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. It is all, This symbol behind me is more than just decor. If you have a cross, jewelry, it's more than just jewelry. For us as believers, followers of Christ, it's an instrument of death. It's what Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow after me. It's also the instrument of death that Jesus died for us. And it was only through his death and him taking our sin upon himself that the Holy Spirit could ever be given to us in the first place. In verse 7, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We of all people in this dark world should be hopeful. Now, I'm not hopeful necessarily for governmental change. I, I mean, I, I do participate in it. I pray for it. I, I hope to see that, but that is not my hope. Cause you know what? That could be disappointed. It could be disappointed every election. And then after the election, even if the person that you think is going to be good, they could say something stupid and then you realize, okay, they're kind of cutting. That's not my hope. Do you know what my hope is? My hope is what we just read. It's having been justified by his grace. That is our hope. Now, here is another key focus for us as a church. It's not just on the gospel saving us. It's also on doing good works. But the difference is the doing of the good works is not to save us. And the doing of the good works is not so that he'll love us. The doing of the good works is because he has saved us and because he does love us. Notice what it says in verse 8. This is a faithful saying. These things I want you to affirm constantly. So Paul's telling Timothy, say this again. And if they've already heard it, say it again. That those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. If our church disappeared from our community, would our community miss us? If you disappeared from your neighborhood, would your street miss you? If you moved from your school to another school, would your school miss you? We are to maintain good works, not so that God will save us, but because he has saved us, because it's one of the ways that we show this community that we love them. Why are we doing kids club? It's because there's a bunch of kids and parents and teachers and administrators and janitors and secretaries that need to know that God loves them. 
Why do we walk in a, a community parade? Because we want to proclaim to a city, you know, whether it's Santa Cruz at, a, at the Christmas slash holiday parade or in Scotts Valley on the 4th of July parade, it's because we want to let people know that we love them. We want people to know that there's a God who loves them and that we're over here and we want to make a difference. So when Paul writes this to, to Titus, this is not just organized events that happen because they are part of a, a local church. This is individual good works because they are followers of Christ. So some of the good works that you do, in fact, most, hopefully, most of the good works that you do, because you hopefully are doing a lot more good works than we're just doing as a church ministry, I hope and I pray that you personally are looking for the opportunities to show good to people so that it opens up a door to let them know that God loves them. Paul writes to, to Titus saying, maintain good works. I don't think in Crete that they had many concerts out in the park. I'm not opposed to that. I think that's a great way to outreach. But I think really what he was meaning was this. As you look in the context of the whole book of Titus, hey, when you are a servant, you better be a good servant to your owner. He told them that in a slave culture so that you might save them or God might save them through you. When you're a worker, you better be a good worker so that people listen to you and people say how good of a worker you are so that it opens the door for the gospel. And then fight the right fight. Notice in verse 9, he wants to remind them of something, but avoid not all disputes. He could have used the word all. The Holy Spirit could have inspired him to say all. He said, but avoid what? Foolish disputes. genealogies, contentions, or another word for contentions is controversy, and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and what? Useless. Reject a divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person person is warped and sinning and being self-condemned. You know, in other places, Paul says to fight the good fight. What he's really telling us is we better make sure that we fight the right fight. The right fight is this. We need to hold on to the gospel, and we need to be unified at all costs. We, we need to fight for unity. We need to fight for truth. We need to fight for God's word. We need to fight for never compromising those things. But sometimes when we take the fight into the world, into the public arena... What the world hears is not that there is a God that has come to save them. What the world hears is that it's us against them. Now, in no way, shape, or form am I compromising truth. And some of you might think, well, are we compromising truth? Absolutely not. But what is that truth? That truth is that this is God's word and people need to know. You know what? People already know many times because the Holy Spirit does the work of convicting that they're sinners or that they're separated from God. Sometimes people need to learn that, but a lot of times they already know that, and they need to know that there's a way back, and it's not through good works. So let me close with uh, one more scripture, and then I'm going to answer some questions. There's a second part of regeneration that that really um, is something that, when I was over at Calvary Chapel Gilroy, was already in process It'll come up. It was this. In our 
American culture, and we always have, have to look at culture through the lens of the Bible, biblical culture versus American culture. I, I feel like um, some things that happened in the early 1970s started to divide the church, even though they were really good and still are good in their place. Youth groups really started to grow, and parachurch organizations, Youth for Christ, Young Life, Campus Life, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, which I don't know if you've read the news, many of those are being banned now from college campuses. Uh, they're losing their, uh, actually not banned, but they're losing their, their room. They now have to start renting things, and, and uh, they can't be an official club on campus the way that they used to be. So some campuses can actually close to them. But when it comes to um, ministry, I, I think that it's good that we're able to minister and come alongside of others and grow with people that are where we are. I, I love our seniors ministry because there are people that are in a, a stage of life that have some common, uh, not only vision and, and mission, but also some common trials, some things they could share together, some fellowship. I love that we have a junior high ministry and a, a high school ministry. I, I love that, that at times there are, are times for new, newly married couples to get together. But if we only do that, then what happens is we're actually dividing and we're missing out on what Paul wrote to Titus about in which the older women should teach the younger women, the older men should teach the younger men. We almost in the church culture today have a mentality that, that oh, I'm a, a young man or I'm an older man, so I can't relate to that other generation. And both need to learn from one another. You know what that takes? It takes humility. It means that I'm humble enough to learn from someone that's younger than me. My kids have to teach me things. And I have to open up to them and realize there are some things that because of my age, my perspective might be a certain way, but it might not be a, an issue that is, that is like salvation issue or super important. It's just a, a way of seeing some things. And other things, yes, they are sin and those things, you know, obviously we hold fast to those. But I need to learn technology from them you know one of the things that my daughter does um in in her career right now that's getting launched is she does social media for nonprofit organizations the i have a dream foundation and now um you know international justice mission because it's a way to reach a whole new segment of our culture today you know they're saying that by two years from now the vast majority of people that own phones will all be smartphones so people will get a lot of their, I mean, already, their news, you know, what's happening. Um, you know where my daughter, who is a journalism major at USC, so this is cutting-edge journalism. She has teachers from, you know, the Times and, you know, Washington Post. You, you know where people get their news source immediately now? It's Twitter. It's a crazy thing because as things happen, it used to be I'd wake up, you'd wake up in the morning, you'd go out and get, get the paper, and you'd find out, oh, I didn't realize that that happened. Well, guess what? Go on to Twitter and go to the news feeds and you realize, oh, five minutes ago, the president just said this and this is what's going on in Israel. Things change. And because they change, as a culture, we need to learn to adapt and reach as many as possible. So in Psalm 145.4, this is what we're trying to do. In Psalm 145.4, I'm going to read this to you. Uh, it says, "I will," or 1 through 4, I will extol you. Uh, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day will I bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Now listen to this. 
One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. God has called one generation to declare God's mighty acts to another. So what does this look like? This looks like someone from the seniors or a couple from the seniors coming to Gen 1 on Monday nights and talking about what it was like when they first got married and the challenges that they went through. You know what this is like? It's like the junior hires uh, serving at a, at a you know, adults ministry type of thing, not just to serve, but then to get to know them. This is where we learn together and we want to do more things like that so that we would still be able to do things on our own and have fellowship times and outreach times, but we need to be able to learn from one another as well. And that's why it's so important that people don't graduate from high school and all of a sudden join into the larger community of believers and feel like, I just lost my church because my church was back there. And that guy's not my pastor. My pastor was back there. I don't even know this guy. See, the junior hires uh, should be taught at times by the high school and the high school, you know, should help out with elementary school. Every, every 16-year-old should know a 6-year-old and a 60-year-old, I believe, so that there's that ministry that happens. And if you go into Jewish culture, and if you go into Asian culture, you have that. Age is venerated. Wisdom, oh, gray hair, wisdom, give me some wisdom. <laughs> you know, it's not like, oh, okay, you're 45 years old, you can no longer be a pastor because uh, we need someone that's cutting edge. No, you know what? Biblical culture is every generation gleaning from the next generation and vice versa. So the bottom line is this. Regeneration is when God's spirit changes us from the inside out. But the process of renewal is daily. Regeneration happens when God's spirit changes us from the inside out. But the process of renewal is daily. Now, as we close, I'm going to give you a few. Uh, have you seen on a website, sometimes they're called FAQs, frequently asked questions? These are some facts. Although I haven't received any facts yet, these are going to be the facts. So I'm letting, these are going to be frequently asked questions. And I want to share it ahead of time. And then afterwards, um, I would just invite you back for a, a panel. We'll have elders up here, just a discussion, just asking about whether it's the church or ministry or culture and, and where, where we believe the Lord is uh, leading us. The first thing, the first obvious question is why change our name? The first thing comes from really prayer and waiting upon the Lord. It, it's not a change for change's sake, believe me. It is with, um, I can't think, I almost said fear, but it's not a fear. I guess it is. I was raised in Calvary Chapel since I was six years old. My, my sister was Raul Reese's secretary. Um, then she went over to Pasadena. She was Xavier Reese's secretary. I taught in the, the Bible college. I, I came up to, uh, to Calvary Chapel, San Jose. I, I started a Calvary Chapel in Gilroy, or the Lord used me and a bunch of other people to start the church there, and now I'm over here. I love Calvary Chapel. So why the name change? I believe the Lord is sending a revival, not just within Calvary Chapel, but beyond Calvary Chapel. And I want to prepare and pray for it, and I don't want to have any barrier as though to say we are a church that doesn't fellowship with other churches. I want to be a church that we partner with other churches that also hold to God's word and, and, and really preach the gospel and live it out. I want to be a church that, hey, I don't care what the name is who sponsors it if we have an outreach. 
I don't care if it's Calvary Chapel or Regeneration or if it's, you know, a, a Baptist church or Santa Cruz. If we could do some things together and put Christ as the forefront, I think it speaks to our community that we're unified in Christ. So that's a big part of it. I believe the born-again explanation today is needed. And this is our opportunity to t- explain to people what it means to be born again and regenerated. What is regenerate? And people say, well, what's regeneration? Boom! <laughs> Open door. If you miss it, that's your bad. You know, you don't miss it. And I don't want to miss it either. Those are opportunities. Um, it's a reminder and a reflection of who we are and what our mission is. And our heart is not just for Santa Cruz, and it's not just for Scotts Valley. It's for Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. So it's beyond a location. If we just call ourselves Calvary Chapel, Scotts Valley, then I believe that it's kind of saying, well, what about Felton? Well, what about Ben Loman? What about uh, Santa Cruz? What about, well, it's for, yes, all of those things. Second frequently asked question will be, are we still a Calvary Chapel? Absolutely, and that will be a part of our website. I love Calvary Chapel because I love the affiliation of churches and what it is that we believe. You know, going to a Christian university and being exposed to many, many different churches and denominations, I really felt this is where God settled me because there's an openness to God's spirit and there's also a teaching expositorily through God's word and there's that balance that I I love. So absolutely. The thing is some people think they already know what Calvary Chapel is. Some people have no idea. So if this... If this were Yellow Pages days, I don't think that I would have done this. Because in the past, you would go to the Yellow Pages, and if you were looking for a Calvary Chapel, I worked for the Yellow Pages, so this is what we train people to do. You would look under churches, then you would look for the heading Calvary Chapel. In today's day and age, you know how people are going to find us? They're going to Google Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz, Scotts Valley, wherever, and we show up. With our search engine optimization, you know, we're our name will still show up because we're still a part of that Calvary Chapel list. And the other thing is this. I want to remove every obstacle uh, for people to come. So, you know, as a, a DBA doing business as, they'll still be able to find us. And, and the question, how will people find us? It's the wrong question. The framing of the question is going to change our trajectory. The real question should be this. How will we find them? I think that church in America has changed their mentality. I'm not just talking to us, but church in our culture has changed the mentality and church has become a building where the word ecclesia is the called out ones. Jesus said, go and, and uh, you know, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. No good fisherman sits in one place and waits for all of the fish to come to them. I just got to wait here. Eventually they're going to come. What do they do? They fish. Jesus said, I'm going to teach you how to be fishers of men. The real question should be this. How will we find them? Not how will they find, they'll find us. It's easy. I mean, it's hard because we're kind of streetwise, but they will find us, right? Google will get them here. You know, the maps or they'll, they'll get here if they want to get here. The real question is, have you invited anyone? Have you, have you in the last, don't raise your hand. All right. In the last month, have you invited anyone to a worship gathering with you? Okay, just thinking about that. And if you haven't, the question is not how are they going to find us, but how are we going to find them? How do we go to them? 
And finally, will the focus of ministry change? Yes and no. Here's the yes. Outward and community rather than just inward. I'll tell you that, you know, for years what worked at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa was concerts on Friday nights and bringing people. I'm not opposed to that. I love Christafari. I love their heart. We will do things like that from time to time. But more than that, we need to go out to people. And ministry sometimes is going into the schools and, Lord willing, into universities and in your workplace starting a lunch Bible study and in your team asking if you could be the one that says a prayer before the game if you're a player or whatever those things are. So, uh, yes, in in that way it it would change. And, And maybe in... As a local church, maybe less big box and more living rooms. Um, I know that at one point in time, the vision was to have this as the hub so that a lot of ministry would come out of one place. But I believe this, if this church as a building starts to grow to a place where we can't fit in here and we need another campus, that maybe we open up another campus in downtown. You know, I don't know. But what I am praying about is at the conference, you know, one of the things that the Lord put on my heart was who needs a building. Do you ever realize how many people are downtown? Do you ever go to downtown and walk around on Friday nights at whatever time? And there's people. What if we just went out there and worship Jesus? What if we just went out there and started worshiping and singing songs to Jesus? Like they're street musicians. What if we did that? And not everyone has a heart to do that, but what if the people that have a heart to do that just did that? And then afterwards, just shared out of the Gospels who Jesus is. What might Jesus do? And who could we invite from other fellowships to help us to do that? I don't know. But those are things that I'm praying about. So will the focus change? In those ways, it might. But I'll tell you what. The insides of who we are won't in the sense of this. The, the packaging might change, but it's the same good old tide or crest or whatever it is. You know, if you look at the 1950s, the packaging has changed over time. The content should remain the same. And then we need to return to some roots. On Wednesday nights as we go to Life Church, I'm looking forward to more times of just waiting on the Lord, just times of worship and being open to what His Holy Spirit does in us and through us. I don't want to just talk about that like, hey, that's our philosophy and we know that doctrinally, but are we experientially experiencing that? where we give the Holy Spirit time to move and work in our midst. So, thank you for being open, and I just want to um, continue in the same way that the Lord has called us to continue. So, if we could have the worship team come up, and uh, we're going to worship together, and we're going to celebrate God's goodness together, and then afterwards, if there's some questions and answers, I'd love to to a- answer them and, and uh, talk. Um, I'm excited. I'm very hopeful. I think that when it comes to ministry and dialogue with people, um, an openness and being able just to share with people openly, this is what God's doing, is so refreshing. Um, You know, I'm even thinking on Wednesday nights from time to time, we're teaching through a a section of Ephesians that's on parenting. You know, rather than having a, a parenting seminar separate, we'll just do a question and answer on that evening. You know, just have some parents be able to answer some things. And so... I don't know exactly what it's going to look like. I do know this. My heart and prayer, our heart as elders and and our prayer is beyond our church. It's God, please send revival.
It's the only hope for our country. It is the only hope for our nation is to turn to Jesus. And so let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for being our king, Lord, our, our chief shepherd, our senior pastor. Lord, we ask that you would lead us and guide us. Father, we don't want to change just for change's sake. But Lord, any changes that need to be made in our lives personally, we want to be pliable. I don't want to become rigid where I'm not willing to listen when your Holy Spirit tells us to take a step or even tells me personally to take a step of faith. Jesus, we pray that we would never compromise your word. You are the true embodiment of the word. We know that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So God, as people, we pray that we would embody what it is that you would desire to convey to this world. I don't want people, Lord, to know us as angry talk show hosts, Lord, as much as people that love them and are not willing to compromise truth. And Lord, I pray that the world would be blown away so that even if they disagree with us, even if they shout us down, and even if they yell at us and get angry, that Lord, our hearts are not filled with rage towards them. Our hearts are filled with brokenness and love that they are missing out on the gospel and the life and the hope that saved us, that they could experience the same thing that we have. Lord, may that be at the heart of our ministry. May that be the center. And Lord, we don't want it to be a man's vision or a person's vision or a group of people. We want it to be a revelation. When the disciples gathered together to fast and pray and your Holy Spirit said, now set apart for me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work of the ministry. Lord, may we overhear your Spirit saying to us, this is what I want to do in you and through you. Lord, cleanse us. And I pray right now, if there's anyone here that is not born again, Lord, maybe it's been about church attendance or conformity. Lord, I pray for regeneration of hearts. I ask you, God, that you would change us from the inside out. Lord, that the love that we sense from you and experience would be so overwhelming that we can't help but tell people about it. So we love you and we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we worship the Lord together and have the um, ushers come forward to receive the offering, if you are a part of this uh, called out group and and uh, what the Lord is doing, and this is the place where you call your home and you worship, then our tithes and offerings are just a manifestation of that as well. We're praying that the Lord uses these uh, for his glory and multiplies them. So, Jesus, we also pray that you would just bless the offering, and we thank you. And uh, we, we pray that as we continue to worship you, change our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>